Good afternoon. Uh, and if uh, it's your first time here, so my name is Nino, I'm the pastors here at Trails. And today we are continuing our uh, New Year's sermon series called Resolve. And the idea for this series was given by our youth leader, Charles. And I personally really like the, the, the idea for this series. As uh, mentioned in previous sermons, the inspiration for this series was Jonathan Edwards' 70 Resolutions for Life. And so the, first of all, I like the idea of having this series because I really enjoy reading Jonathan Edwards. I love, I love reading the Puritans in general, but Jonathan Edwards is probably one of my favorites because he's very profound and theologically precise. But at the same time, he understands and labors to... to, to Labors for theology not just fuel our brains, but fuels hearts, touches our hearts, and steers our affections for Christ. So I really recommend you 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 read like his works. And the second thing I, I like about this series is because we are using this time of the year in which many people are making their resolutions, the goals for the year, and they're starting to pursue those things. And it's good for us to stop for a moment and reflect if these goals, they truly reflect the faith we, we, we profess. So think about this. If you would give your, a stranger your list of resolutions, if you have one, of course, would they know you're a follower of Jesus? People just by seeing like, what are your resolutions for this new year? Would they know you're a Christian? And some of you might think, yes, they would know because I have some sort of like Bible reading goal there, which is a great thing. As Matt preached last week, we are supposed to be day by day in, in, in the Word of God, day and night meditating God's Word and going deep in the Scriptures, and it really transforms us. But the question before us here is that other than reading our Bible, are there other things that reflect the transformation that already happened in your life, in your conversion, as you're like studying your Bible? Can we really see in your life the result of the transformation that God's Word can do in your life, in my life? So even if you don't have an actual list of resolutions, are the things you are resolved to do in life, the things you are seeking in life, a reflection of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Look how Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 6. Sorry. Matthew 6. 31 to 34 says, Therefore, do not be an anxious saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day its own trouble. So, do your goals and resolutions show you seek the kingdom of God first? Is it, is it this kingdom of God the thing you're resolved to seek? Or are you just like anyone else in the world, like the Gentiles, the pagans, just pursuing money, food, drinks, pleasure, distractions, comforts? And even if you have godly goals, in, in, in the paper, which is easy to do, of course. Does your day-to-day -day life show that you are truly resolved to seek the kingdom of God first? Look with me at some of Edward's resolutions here. 
In his resolution 22, he says, Resulting never to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can, with all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence, even violence, I'm capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. Resolution 50, he says, Resolve, I will act so as I think I shall judge would have been the best and most prudent when I come into the future world. And his resolution 5 says, I never lose a moment. I'm resolved to never lose a moment, one moment of time, but seize the time to use it in the mo most profitable way I possible can. So Edwards, he understood the importance of having his eyes fixed in which he calls the other world or the future world, which is the age to come when Jesus will restore all the things. And Edwards was resolved to work with all his might, vigor, power, and even violence, he says, to store treasures in this other world. And today I want to show that Edwards' resolutions and posture in life should not just be for exceptional Christians or for people who work for the church or pastors, but it's for all Christians. Living this heaven-oriented life is what expected of any follower of Jesus. So today, the theme that I want to work with you is that, having a heaven-oriented life. So let's open our Bibles in the Gospel of Matthew. You're in Matthew, but now chapter 6, chapter, uh, verse 19 to 21. Matthew 16, 6, sorry. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Just those three verses. The word of God says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where the moth and breast destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay it up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before your presence in this moment together as your church. As Aaron was talking about a minute ago, we know you don't stand before you in our own righteousness, in our own merit. But we are called and we are invited to participate in the congregation of the righteous through the sacrifice of Jesus by, and by faith. We accept this, this righteous that don't belong to us. And we are thankful because we can come in your presence as your church, as a bride of Christ. And we want our lives, God, to, to be, to bring glory to you, to bring glory to your name. And we know we need your word, we need to be taught by you so we can live in a way that's honoring to you and worthy of the gospel that saves us. And what I ask, Lord, that in this moment, you can be using this time to speak to the hearts of everyone here, bringing conviction of sin, true repentance, 
that you can bring sanctification, God changing the way we think about things, changing the, our posture in life. And then we can be actually be resolved to live in a certain way, not because we can change the way, the things we desire, our, our own will, but because we, we trust you that you can change us. And we understand our, our necessity and our full dependence on the Holy Spirit to help us to do the things we are about you to, to understand and to study here. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So, our text for today is very straightforward. It's from words from our Lord Jesus Christ, and he gives his disciples a twofold appeal, a twofold exhortation. That's basically this do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's very simple. The first thing we need to understand is that Jesus is not addressing everyone. He's addressing some specific people. He's addressing his disciples. The context of this, this passage is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, the people to whom the Beatitudes... Are, are true. And the text is clear in Matthew 5, if you want to read it later, but Jesus is addressing just his disciples in this moment. And he's addressing those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted because of righteousness and because of Jesus. And to those people, as we see in the Sermon on the Mount, God is a father to them, a good father. And as a good father, he is the provider, a protector, and it, it's their treasure. And they have no reason to be anxious about anything, as you just saw a minute ago. So I want you to be clear about this from the beginning, because these instructions are not for the unbelievers. The, the Bible clearly states that all the unbelievers, they're storing something which is wrath for the day of judgment. If you read Romans 2, Romans chapter 2, verse 4 to 5 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and the forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of the wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And this text in Romans, in Romans 2, Paul is not even addressing the pagans here, but he's talking to the Jews, to unbelieving Jews. And he's warning them that knowing God's word belongs to a certain class of individuals. And even being teachers of the scripture does not save them from the wrath to come in the day of judgment. So I first want you to examine yourself today if you're truly in the faith. It's not just because you come to church on Sunday. It's not just because you look like a Christian and you have some sort of piety that you are a Christian. And if you are not a Christian, if you are an unbeliever, all you are storing for yourself is wrath for the day of judgment. At the end of the day, there are just two ways of life. Are you store wrath for the day of judgment or you store up rewards in heaven? 
treasures in heaven for yourself by the grace of God. So when the text we just read talks about storing up treasures in heaven, it's not about earning merits to be finally saved. The Bible is very clear that no one is saved through good works. No one can come before the Lord, before God, the holy God, on the day of judgment. He presented himself blameless. And even our good deeds, the Bible says, are mixed with evil acts, evil intents. And as the prophet states, they are filth rags before the Lord. So before you decide to be resolute and live in heaven-oriented life, you need first to be a citizen of heaven. You need to be allowed in heaven in the presence of God. And the only way to come before God and be saved from his righteous judgment is by being covered in the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. You need to repent from your sins and trust Jesus. Trust Jesus' sacrifice for your salvation. And the promise is that everyone who believes and trusts Jesus for salvation, they will be saved. He will not reject you. And you will not just be saved from the wrath to come, but it's given you the privilege, the power to become a son of God. Now having become sons of God, we are not anymore of the world, even though we live in the world, as the Apostle Peter says, we are exiles in this world. But where we truly belong is the kingdom of God. And now belonging to the kingdom of God and having access to the Creator God as your Father, you are able to store up treasures in heaven. Many people don't realize this, but the way by which we store, store up treasures in heaven is by good works. So, good works don't give you salvation, but good works are important for a Christian life. And by good works, I don't mean giving money to charity or helping older people to cross the street. That's not the kind of good work you're talking about here. I mean, talk about acts of obedience to Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. There are more than 25 texts in the New Testament that suggest that. For example, 2 Corinthians 5.10. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be re recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So you're going to receive the recompense for the good things you, you did. Or you have Philippians 1, 9 to 11, in which Paul says, And it is my prayer that your, your love may abound more and more, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul is saying, I expect you to come before Jesus in that day with the fruit of righteousness. We are called to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to present them when Jesus returns. And the only reason... God accepts our good works as a pleasing offering to Him is because those offerings we bring, we bring in faith in Jesus Christ. And our works are now covered by the blood of Christ and have the string removed from them and it can be recognized as true fruits of righteousness. And we see in the Bible that all good sacrifice, they receive a reward from the Lord. So Jesus in his sacrifice, because he was accepted by the Lord, he was rewarded 
with a pure bride. That was the reward Jesus received for his sacrifice on the cross. He received the church. He wanted the church. That was the reward he was looking for. And not just a church, but a holy church, a blameless church in his presence. Now I want you to see this. Jesus does not just instruct us to not lay out treasures on earth, but lay out them in heaven. But he gives us the ultimate example of what this means. Jesus in his earthly life, he did not seek earthly rewards. He did not seek money. He did not seek human recognition. He did not seek comfort. He did not seek building a following for himself. He did not seek to preserve his reputation. He gave up everything to the point of being killed in the most humiliating way. And all of this looking to the reward that would come from his father. Jesus was the only one who perfectly lived a heaven-oriented life. He endured the cross and the shame, always having his eyes fixed on the joy set before him by the Father, the heavenly rewards. Now the, the crazy thing about this is that Jesus did not just give up his earthly treasures, but Jesus being God who came in flesh, he gave up his heavenly treasures to save you. Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We must remember that Jesus was with God, and he was God from eternity. And he emptied himself by taking in human form. So in Jesus' case, he did not just give up earthly treasures, but he left behind his heavenly riches to pay our debt and bring us from this place of eternal punishment and wrath to this place of gracious reward. So Jesus did all of this so he could share his heavenly riches with us, his church, his bride, and he wants to do this forever. Now, when we look at the first half of Jesus' exhortation here, he tells us to not lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. And he gives us a reason. He says, where the moth and the rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus here is not telling us to not just lay up treasures on earth, but in heaven as well. That's how some people read this. We should have treasures here and there. No, he's saying, like, do not lay up treasures on earth. It's a very clear command. He's very straightforward. The imperative here is very simple. Do not lay up treasures on earth. And Jesus gives us one reason that is very simple and should be enough to open our eyes. The earthly treasures, they are fragile. They are temporary. And they can easily be destroyed or lost. Anyone who knows the minimum about investments... No, that's, it's a terrible investment to invest in something that's deteriorating quickly. And Jesus wants to open the eyes of his disciples to a perspective that takes eternity into consideration. This world we live in, all the things we, we have around us, they are extremely temporary. But there is eternity in front of us all, if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian. 
Some will spend eternity in hell suffering God's wrath. And others will be forever with Jesus in this restored creation. And the great thing is that you can start laying out treasures for eternity right now, as Jesus teaches. And there are two reasons why this is true. First, because the things we value today are not the things that we will value in eternity. So some people think, I'm going to be laying up treasures in heaven, so I'm going to have like a big house in heaven or live in the best neighborhood. Those are not the important things in heaven. And that's the reason why we can start laying up those treasures in heaven right now, because they are accessible to us. The kingdom of God has different principles, they have different values. And the kingdom of God, the treasure, are not money, not prestige, not a social position, and so on. For example, I'll give you an example, Matthew 23, verse 11 to 12. Jesus tells his disciples, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus is teaching us here that exaltation will come to those who humble themselves. And the greatest in the kingdom of God is the one who serves the most. Can you start humbling yourself right now? You can. Can you start by serving other people right now? Serving the Lord right now? You can. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? That's the way to go. You serve. You humble yourself. Jesus is teaching us here that exaltation will come to those who humble themselves. So that's the first principle. You want to lay out treasures in heaven? Humble yourself. Be the one the first to serve. And Jesus is teaching us here that exaltation will come to those who humble, are humble. It's important to us to realize that Jesus here is not discouraging the disciples for pursuing greatness and exaltation. He's not trying to discourage them to, for pursuing heavenly rewards, good rewards. But he explained that the way to get there is different in the kingdom of God. It's not the same system we have in here. And Jesus is the perfect example of what he said. Being the one who humbled himself the most and who served everyone, he was exalted by God to the highest position. So Jesus' life proves that what he's teaching here, it is true. In the kingdom of God, serving everyone is a privilege, not a task given to those in the base of the pyramid. Even in our homes, sometimes we give uh, tasks to our kids to serve their, their siblings or something when they do something wrong. It's a punishment to serve to those who don't have enough education, so they're going to serve the ones who are in the higher class. In the kingdom of God, the, the higher one is the one who serves. Serve is a privilege. And that should be the way we live as a church. That should be the way our families live. When you do something wrong, you don't get to serve. Not the opposite. The second reason why we should not lay up treasures on earth is that if you are a true Christian, a true disciple of Jesus, you will live this way. And because Jesus lived this way. That means to be a disciple, to, to, to live like our master lived. And Jesus lived in this way. So if, if you are a true disciple, you're going to live in this way. Not laying out treasures on earth is not just a suggestion from our master. 
but a condition for discipleship. This is the cost of being a disciple of Christ. If you're going to follow the one who never laid out any treasures on earth, for you it will be the same. He says in Matthew 8. Now when Jesus saw the crown around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side, and a scribe came, to him, came up and said to him, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of there have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So Jesus is giving this scribe a clear picture of what is to follow Jesus wherever he goes. He's telling his, this scribe, you need to count the cost. You don't understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I have no treasures. I have no properties. I have nothing. I don't have, even have where to lay my head. And that's the cost to follow me. Being united to Christ and being one of his disciples is the most wonderful thing in life. But there is a cost to it. And it will cost you everything. Everything. It will cost you abandoning all your earthly treasures and have your eyes fixed on the future prize prepared for those who believe in him. So if you want to follow Jesus, Jesus, it is good that you're resolute in living this life. Focusing on the world to come. Otherwise, you're not going too far. That's the only way to follow Jesus. So friends, don't let the material things, the temporal things, be the best you have. Don't let those things be what brings you contentment, security, joy. Because if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to abandon all those things. Don't covet these things. Don't trust these things. Don't put all your efforts to, to get those things. Don't let these things be your glory. Because God will ask you for all those things. You're going to need to give up all those things to follow Him. And not because He's a bad father, but because He wants to give you best things. He knows all those things will pass. They're already passing. Money will pass, houses will pass, your career will pass, your health and your body will pass, your family will pass, your position, your prestige will pass. All of this will pass. And you're clinging to the things that very soon will turn into dust, less than, or less than nothing. Friends, the gospel is not a call to give up treasures at all. But it's a call to pursue a better treasure. Eternal treasures. The gospel is not a calling for you to give up all the rewards and live without purpose. But it's a call to live for a much better reward and a much better purpose. That's the call of the gospel. And this takes us to the second part of Jesus' exhortation. When he tells his disciples to, Now you laid up your, for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither the moth nor rust destroys, and where the thieves do not break in and steal. As Aaron mentioned in the first sermon of this series, we Christians, we are not called to be stoic. We are not called to be indifferent and infected by joy, by grief, by pleasure, by pain. That's, that's not the calling of Christianity. We are not called to be indifferent to, to life. The Bible says, as we just mentioned, blessed are those who mourn, 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we do well in desiring God's promise with all our hearts and longing for the things that He promises. That's what He expects from us. And God promises an eternity in His presence where death and pain will be no more. All tears will be uh, whipped away. And our joy will be complete and everlasting. That's the promise of God. So it's important for us to look into the second part of Jesus' teaching because some Christians might create this version of Christianity in which there is no space for rewards and treasures. And our sacrifice to follow Jesus seems to be without real purpose or reward. And that's a lie. It's a satanic lie. It makes God look like a bad father who does not want to give, you, give his sons good gifts. Good rewards for the good things they do. Look at what Jesus teaches at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Not this. Matthew 5, 11-12. I'm going to read it to you. It says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Church, rejoice and be glad. For great is your reward in heaven. Rejoice and be glad. For great is your reward. Church, remember the lie that the serpent told Eve in the garden? And that's the text I had here. The serpent said to the woman, You will not you, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan is here trying to convince Eve that God's commandments are not in her best interest. And many people believe when, when God tells us to do something, it's not because he wants our best interest, but because he wants to limit us, or because God doesn't like certain things. And th that's just a satanic lie. God always wants the best for you. God always has our best interest. God always wants what's good and perfect for us. And all his commands are good for us. Even when we are commanded to worship God, some people might think God wants us to worship Him because He needs our worship. And that's not true. God commands us to worship Him because we need this worship. We are the ones who need, by worshiping God, be transformed, shaped into His image. God is perfect and complete without us. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need your worship. He doesn't need your prayers. He doesn't need your Bible reading. Those things are good for us. And of course, God as a good father, he takes pleasures in those things. He takes pleasure in seeing you living a good life. But it's for us. Some people, they, they do their Christian life as if they're doing a favor to God. See God, read my Bible today. See God, I did this. See God, I went to church. You're not benefiting God in any way. 
So when God tells us something, he wants us to have full, full joy and wants us to invest our lives in what really matters. And he wants us to be rich in the things that actually matter. And he wants to have abundant life in the things that really matter. And the gospel, the whole message, the central message of the Bible is about God leaving behind his own glory, his own abundance to join us in our suffering and death so that we might join him in his eternal glory. Then Jesus' commands here is very clear. We are not just to stop laying up treasures on earth, but we are commanded to lay up treasures in heaven. You're not just to stop doing something, but you're called to start doing something else. And that's what sanctification is. Not just stopping doing the evil things you used to do, but you put on this new man and you seek to bear fruit of obedience to Christ, the fruit of righteousness. And the reason you laid up treasures in heaven is that these treasures, they are eternal. They cannot be taken from us. And they will not decay or be destroyed, robbed. So, church, you can use your time, your money, your health, your skills, whatever else you have, to store up more treasures here on earth. You can spend your life and resources gathering more money, increasing your inheritance, increasing your influence and power. Or you can use your money, your health, your skills, everything to store treasures in heaven and to turn those things in heavenly treasures. The constant question in our mind should be, how do you use my money for the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom of God to transform this money here that will pass in treasure in heaven? How do you use my skills, my knowledge, my health, my time, my family, everything I have to increase my heavenly treasures? That should be the question in our minds all the time. And friends, the interesting thing that as we are living this overlapping time in between the new and the old age, we can today see the effects of our investments in the heavenly things. In, first, uh, in Colossians chapter 1, the first chapter, Paul tells us the following. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. There is more. Where's the rest of the text? Oh, no, that's it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's the verse I wanted to focus on. So it's interesting for us to see that Jesus, the, the, the text says he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So Jesus in his resurrected body, he inaugurated this new age, the new creation. He's the firstborn of the dead, the firstborn of the new creation. He's the first existing thing of these heavenly places. And now we live in this time where the new reality is spreading out while the, 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 the old age is passing away. And those of us who are saved, we are able in this time to experience glimpses of this new creation. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So when we are first saved or, or, or salvation is applied to our lives by the Holy Spirit, we experience this eternal restoration. We are born again from the Spirit. The same power that brought Jesus back to life. 
and gave his this perfect body is what gives us this inner life. So you already experienced this new creation, this new thing that God is doing. And that's why John Calvin says the gospel is not teaching intended for the tongue, but for life. The gospel is not something that just should fill our minds, but it's something that we need to experience, something for our lives. The gospel is not a philosophy for life, but it's the resurrection and transformation of power that comes through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, and completely changes our nature and, in consequence, the way we live. So, in a part way, we are already living in this other world. As Jesus puts it, we are not anymore of the world, but we are in the world, and we are in the world sent by Jesus to take part in his restoration work and his mission. So if you are truly a Christian, your true identity is not as a citizen of the world, but you are a citizen of heaven. And being a citizen of heaven, this is where you lay out your treasures. Now the treasures we lay out in heaven are nothing more than sharing the treasures of Jesus Christ. As we are united to him by faith. Everything belongs to Jesus. So it's not like you're coming up with new things in heaven. But you are sharing in the treasures of Jesus. So we have above all the treasure of being communion with God. The, the thing that Jesus valued the most is not his big house in heaven. The thing he values most is his relationship with God the Father. When we see Jesus in the Gethsemane and he's sweating blood and he's praying for God to, if possible, take from him this cup. He's not concerned about his own body, the suffering he's going to go through. But he's concerned about like bearing the sin of humanity and being separated from the Father. Why, God, have you forsaken? That's the thing that God, Jesus, values the most. His relationship with God. And that's the first thing he wants to share with us. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we can come in the presence of God with Jesus. We can be in the presence of God. We can have a relationship with God. In the same way, he's a father to Jesus. He becomes a father to us. That's the first treasure we have. We can enjoy the treasure of holiness. Being 100% holy. Being complete. No trace of sin. That's the treasure. We can enjoy the treasure of having in us the same spirit that it is in Jesus. The Holy Spirit. And we can be guided by the Holy Spirit. We have the treasure of being able to share in God's mission. And being His instruments for the redemption of the creation. As Jesus is the foremost. We get to share in the treasure that it is the body of Christ, the church. As I mentioned, Jesus died for His church. That's the reward He was looking for. And we get to share in the life of the church. And we enjoy all the good, good gifts that Jesus has and he distributed to the body. You have the treasure of not just knowing about the word of God. But understanding it. 
and making the truth in which we stand. We share in the promises of God to the faithful through Jesus. As Aaron read Psalm 1, we are not by nature the, the righteous one. But now in our unity with Christ, we can share those promises. All the promises are for the faithful one. They now become our promises because we are united to Christ. We have the treasure of being able to come in the presence of God and pray and worship. The very thing we are doing here right now. Friends, the, the reason in our prayers we say in the name of Jesus is not because those are magic words that make our prayer effective. We pray in the name of Jesus because we, are, we know, we recognize that our access to God was bought with the blood of Christ. All your prayers are blood-bought prayers. That's the pray price that was paid for you to come in the presence of God and bring your prayers before Him. That's the only reason He, he listens to us. Have you ever considered the treasure that this is? How valuable is to have access to the presence of God? How much you value this treasure of prayer? And now Jesus finishes the text by giving us the full perspective and on where he's getting at. So Matthew 6, 21, just for us to read again, he finishes this, this part by saying, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So now it's important for us to understand that Jesus is not saying that the treasures on earth and in heaven, they are equivalent in value. But it, we will treasure things that are earthly and temporary, or are we going to treasure things that are uh, heavenly and eternal? That's what he's saying. What are you going to treasure? What, where, where is your treasure? What are the things you really value in life? And we can see where our hearts are by seeing where our treasure is. Or by seeing what the treasures in our hearts are. So do you treasure your salvation? Do you treasure your relationship with the Father? Do you treasure holiness, the Word of God, being part of God's mission, the Holy Spirit, the church, the spiritual gifts you receive? Or do you treasure work, study, career, money, investments, comfort, house, car, respect, recognition from other men? What do you actually value? Where is your treasure? Where is your heart? Which one of those do you spend most of your time and effort trying to guard and increase? The first list or the second list? Each of these things bring you more joy and give us more purpose. Which of these things give you a better sense of accomplishment? When you receive a raise or when you get a better position at your job or when you get a better house or when you see yourself a bit more sanctified, knowing the, God of God, the Word of God a little bit more. You being able to serve the church a bit more. What brings you more joy, more contentment? What is your priority in life? To 
Which of those things are you more committed to maintain and multiply? Are you committed to multiply your comfort, your money, or are you committed to multiply your, your holiness, your knowledge of God? And what is driving your decisions in life? Is it money or is it God? Many people, when they think about moving jobs, getting married, buying a new house, moving cities, what's the first thing that comes to their minds? For most of the people, it's money. Talking about coverage to certain people, the first thing, the first subject that comes up is money. They don't think about how this can affect their, their, their relationship with God. How can this can affect the way they serve the church, the way they're involved in God's mission. The first thing is money. That's our first concern. When are you going to get married? When I have enough money. When are you going to do this? When I have enough money. Who is the one leading your life? Who is the one actually being the God of your life? Or is it your first th thought about how those things will be, bring you close to God? Or how those, the things you do would make you more effective in the kingdom of God? Or how think those things will help you to serve God and the church better? Are those the thoughts in your head when you're making decisions and when you're choosing where to live, where, which city to go? So friends, you, you can move to a different city. Because you can live a better life there, or you can make or save more money there, or have more security. Or you can move to the same city, because you want to be an instrument for God, instrument for the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom in that city. And you want to put yourself in a position to rely more in God's power and providence. Same move, same city. But one person is laying out treasures in heaven. The other one is laying out treasures on earth. So the question before us today is, is, where is your treasure? Where is your heart? And if your heart is in the perishing treasures of this earth, you will perish with them. But if you follow Jesus and abandon these temporary treasures behind to conquer by faith the eternal prize set before us, you will not be put to shame. That's the promise. And there is glory, honor, and a great reward waiting for you in the presence of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we... I, I first want to come in your presence, God, and, and ask for forgiveness. Because many times our, our hearts, they are the only things here on earth. And we get more excited about the things, the treasures here on earth, than with the treasures, the heavenly treasures. And I ask, Lord, that you can bring a sense of repentance, of conviction of, of this sin to your church in this moment.
you're not seeking here, God, just for a, a posture of I'll try best next time, next week. But a heart who's really understands that when we pursue the earthly treasures, we are actually denying and rejecting and despising the much better treasures you're promising to us. And we know we just will be true disciples if, if we live in this way. So help us, Lord. We, we know we have little faith. We know our, our hearts many times are clinging to the dust. But we want to have our desires changed to love the things you love. And to pursue the things you pursue. So that we can live as we learn in Ephesians. A life that's worthy of the gospel that saved us. In the name of Jesus we pray.